Welcome or welcome back to the company of the cat. Hi. This is going to be different from our usual content. It is not on a song of ice and fire theory or analysis. Instead, it is a look at George Martin's writing style with specific focus on some writing tools that Martin is rumored to love and use frequently. And I say rumored because as far as the song of ice and fire goes, I would argue that he doesn't really use them. These techniques include shocking plot twists, subverting expectations, and many characters with secret identities. So I'm gonna break down each one of them. Before diving in, if you enjoy my videos, don't forget to like and subscribe. First of all, let's see something George Martin said while talking about Winds of Winter and a plot point he had in mind. I'm still weighing whether to go that direction or not. It's a great twist. It's easy to do things that are shocking or unexpected, but they have to grow out of characters. They have to grow out of situations. Otherwise, it's just being shocking for being shocking. But this is something that seems very organic and natural, and I could see how it would happen. And with the various three, four characters involved, it all makes sense. But it's nothing I've ever thought of before. And this is what he thinks about shocking twists that come out of nowhere and consequently do not really contribute to the plot. We can see that this is a case specifically for these novels. Considering there aren't twists that you haven't seen coming one way or another. The shock value of many events in the novels lies in their morality, not in the events themselves. The reason for that is that Martin loves, and I mean loves, foreshadowing. I do not think that I have ever read another book in which almost every major event is foreshadowed at some point. Let's take as an example the Red Wedding, which is considered to be one of the most shocking moments. The Red Wedding was foreshadowed not once, not twice, but three times. Further on, she came upon a feast of corpses, Savagely slaughtered, the feasters lay strewn across overturned chairs and had trestled tables as sprawling pools of congealing blood. Some had lost limbs, even heads. Severed hands, clutched bloody cups, wooden spoons, roast fall, heels of bread. In a throne above them sat a man with the head of a wolf. He wore an iron crown and held the leg of a lamb in one hand as a king might hold a scepter. And his eyes followed Danny with a mute appeal. Fool's blood, king's blood, blood on maiden's thigh, but chains for the guests and chains for the bridegroom, I, I, I. I dreamt a wolf howling in the rain, but no one heard his grief. I dreamt as a clandor, I thought my head might burst, drums and horns and pipes and screams, but the saddest sound was the little bells. I dreamt of a roaring river, and a woman that was fish. Dead she drifted, with red tears on her cheeks, but when her eyes did open, oh, I woke from terror. Three different individuals, in different books, foreshadowed the red wedding with their visions. Even including different parts of the wedding. One of them even foreshadowed Kathleen's resurrection. On top of that, it was also the logical conclusion someone would draw while reading the chapters where Tywin and Bruce were involved. It is fairly easy to pick up that they were planning something and that the Spicers were also involved. And this is the case for almost every major event. The Shadow Baby was foreshadowed twice, both by the Ghost of Highheart and Patchface. The Blackwater, the Purple Wedding, the assassination of Balon Greyjoy, the official arrival of Winter and the White Crow in King's Landing... Wyman plotting against the Boltons, the others, and the death of John were all foreshadowed as well. We also have visions and hints about Arya becoming a faceless man, Bran becoming a greenseer in a cave beyond the wall, Danny hatching the eggs, the Ironborn taking Winterfell, Young Reef, Ned's execution, Euron, Victarion, and Tyrion looking for Danny, and many, many more. Everything we see in the novels is not only heavily implied in dreams, prophecies, and visions, but is also the logical conclusion and ending 99% of the time. Some of these events are shocking, yes, but not because they are twists. It's because they have a significant impact on the storyline and deeply affect their characters, many of whom we like and are attached to. 
The extent and consequences of these events are shocking, not the events themselves. The shocking elements are found in the people at the Red Wedding, the brutalized corpses and the mocked funerary rites. There were the shocking things, not the fact that the Red Wedding happened and people died there. The real plot twist would be if people had survived this wedding. To be completely honest, the Martin Love twist thing became engraved in many people's minds because of Game of Thrones. Yes, most of these major events were completely shocking and unexpected and could be considered twists since in the series they removed a sizable portion of the magic stuff along with entire plot lines and other elements of the story. When you do not depict Danny's visions exactly, when you do not have John's wolf dreams, when both the Ghost of Highheart and Patchface are completely removed, instantly all their foreshadowing is removed too. This brings me to another form of plot twist and ha, you didn't see that coming technique that Martin is accused of loving to use. Secret identities. The bane of my existence and my villain origin story. (laughs) I asked a question in a community post two weeks ago. Are there theories that grind your gears for some reason? The majority of these theories were secret identity theories, and I understand it 110%. Are there people going under aliases in the story? Yes. Are these characters hidden from us? No. (laughs) The only person about whom we do not know basic things regarding their identity is John. And the reason we do not know is that neither does he. But it's something we are getting clues about, something that people and John himself actively try to find out. It is something that we expect to be revealed at some point. It's not an out-of-nowhere thing. Yes, George uses secret identities, but we all know they are secret. Sarella is obviously a letters. The name, description, background, and everything about him hints at that. It's hardly hidden from us, but it is hidden from the rest of the characters and letters interacts with. Similarly, the gravedigger is obviously Sandor, a very big dude that the elder brother knew way more about than what is expected from someone who died quickly after meeting them, covers his face, and he has freaking Stranger as a horse, a huge black stallion that didn't like anyone except Sandor and was notoriously difficult to control by anyone but him. The whole crew of the Shy Maid have secret identities, but guess what? We know about them. We know that Griff is John Connington. We know that young Griff is not his son. We know that Tyrion is not Hugo Hill. The only person whose identity we are uncertain about, even though we know she was a highborn lady, is Lemore. However, the reason we do not know is most likely that she isn't as important as she is made out to be. Tyrion's obsession with her was due to a mix of horniness and paranoia, as he was trying to understand what was going on and who she could be. It doesn't mean that she is a Sarah or Lihanna for crying out loud. And this does not just happen with Lemore, by the way. It is something that happens with most side characters. For what reason would Arthur or Aegir be months? Not only do we need to twist the timeline into a pretzel, but it doesn't do anything for the story apart from turning it into a soap opera. Nothing else. Nothing. Zero. Null. Nada. Me then. The same thing goes for Corin and other people. There are theories about being individuals who died more than a decade ago. What would be the point of a war if everyone is alive and has a secret identity, apparently, that we do not have a clue about in five freaking books? Five. (laughs) These are convoluted theories that not only do not add anything to the story, but actively make it worse. There are people who are suspicious. Yes, Dario is sus. And he might be a spy for someone, but that doesn't mean he's Euron. We all know it's Ben. (laughs) And this also extends to parentage. All the star kids are bastard, but John isn't. Everyone is a Targaryen, but Daenerys isn't. John isn't Ned's kids or Lyanna's kids. No, it's Brandon's. It doesn't matter that the timeline doesn't add up because George is very bad at math, apparently. Which, by the way, 
yes, there are some mistakes here and there, and he himself has commented on them, saying that some months in some instances might be slightly off, but not all of them. Most importantly, one, two months, not years. I'm starting to get a bit sidetracked from the main subject of this video, but the George is lying in his interviews and the George is bad at math, so the timeline doesn't matter at all. Arguments make me roll my eyes so hard. <laughs> anyway, back to the way he writes secret identities. All the people who use them, we know are under analysis. And in cases like John's, again, we readers know way more than him. We do not see anywhere and there aren't any hints either about theories like Darkstar is Rhaegar, it is known. These are the results of a huge fandom that hasn't had a new book in more than a decade. So they come up with every single possible or not theory. Also, there is a part of the fandom that exists by association and is very active in the community. I'm not saying this is a bad thing per se. I mention it because it somewhat affects the collective mindset of the fandom. By fandom by association, I mean people who are deeply into the universe because of Game of Thrones but haven't read the books. And before anyone says no, it, this isn't true, it is. I know people who are like that. They keep up with everything through video essays, posts, wikia, and in general by interacting with the rest of the fandom because they were invested in the series but never got a closure since the ending was horrendous. Again, I don't say this is bad, I totally understand how someone could enjoy it. I would consider myself a Star Wars fan, by association. I know a lot of stuff outside the movies about Star Wars because of the internet and because two of my best friends are huge Star Wars fans. However, I can come up with cohesive theories or analyze stuff. If someone makes a case that makes sense with the limited amount of info I have, I would believe it. But if I was very familiar with the entire universe and specific storylines, I could potentially debunk it. My sister for a couple of years wasn't a Song of Ice and Fire fan by association before she read the novels, and some friends of mine as well, along with one or two of my subscribers, by the way. Thing is, if someone comes up with a theory like Asara is Lemore, which, as you have guessed by now, is one that I really find irritating, and they make a case while omitting key details, Someone who hasn't read the books might agree because they wouldn't know important tidbits and they haven't really seen how all these events are laid out and presented in the story. The way and place something is written can alter the meaning immensely. Add to this how fast this theory is spread and the fact that there are a lot of people who, unlike me, have a life and have read the books just once at some point so they do not remember them in detail, and you get a portion of fans arguing that Euron being Benjen is canon. Generally, I do not have a problem with anybody's theories. You do you, have fun, my own theories might as well be bonkers, and I'm waiting for wins so I can see what I have guessed correctly and what not. However, many of these theories are crafted and supported not by the text, but by phrases like, this is how George writes and Martin loves doing this, when he doesn't. I have seen people say, but if this is the case, then it's boring, I guessed it, it is very obvious. We do not guess things because we are Sherlock Holmes, we are guessing them because the writer wants us to guess them. What's the point of everything being a red herring? This would be a bigger catastrophe than Game of Thrones. It would be straight up lazy writing and cheap tricks. Sometimes the best thing to do is to go with the flow and not twist and turn at every point. I cannot stress enough the importance of maintaining a balanced narrative and how in recent years storytelling, especially in movies and series, and to a lesser extent in books and games, has suffered due to misguided approaches. Plot twists don't make the story. They can add to it if executed correctly, but they can also easily undermine it. Given the complexity of the A Song of Ice and Fire story, excessive plot twists and revelations could ultimately detract from the overall impact the events have. 
I'm not saying that Martin would avoid unexpected twists. In fact, he has expressed the willingness to include them as we saw before. However, this twist would be carefully crafted, impactful, and not mere gratuitous surprises. Why is George Martin considered a writer who subverts expectations then? It's because he does precisely that. In many other fantasy books, heroes rarely face death or consequences for their action. They often emerge unscathed from battles uh, after defeating hordes of enemies without consequences. Martin's writing subverts these expectations, particularly in the fantasy genre, by incorporating a brutal sense of realism where characters face the harsh consequences of their choices. He also creates unconventional and multidimensional characters, again, especially for fantasy books, something that he does consciously, by the way, and has talked about many times. I have a large cast of viewpoint characters, but for most part, they all have something that makes them a bit of an outcast. Tyrion is a dwarf, Jon Snow is a bastard, Danny, who's beautiful, is a penniless exile who's being essentially sold off in marriage. Arya is born to a noble house, but she's kind of a wild child who doesn't conform with the proper gender roles. Brienne of Tarth even more. And because of that, she suffers a lot of scorn and rejection, and she's not a proper woman in the terms of the society. Sam Tarly is fat and bookish when a lord is expected to be more warlike, strong, fierce, and good with a sword. And Sam would rather read and dance and listen to music. So he suffers a lot of rejection as well. I could go on and on. Almost all the characters have problems in some way. Very few of my major viewpoint characters have all the answers or have an easy path through life. They all have burdens to bear. Some of them are women in a society that doesn't necessarily value women or give them a lot of power or independence. These things shape their characters. Your experiences in life, your place in life, inevitably is going to change who you are. War is so central to fantasy, and yet it's these bloodless wars where the heroes are killing and ending orcs, and the heroes are not being killed. I think that if you're going to write about war and violence, then show the cost. In real life, real life kings had real life problems to deal with. Just being a good guy was not the answer. You had to make hard, hard decisions. Sometimes what seemed to be a good decision turned around and bit you in the ass. It was the law of unintended consequences. I've tried to get some of this in my books. My people who are trying to rule don't have an easy time of it. So as we saw, he doesn't limit his characters to being flawless. Instead, he introduces outcasts and morally complex figures. Furthermore, even minor characters appearing briefly possess depth and background underscoring the idea that each character has their own story and complexity, even if we only glimpse a part of it. So yes, George Martin is a writer who subverts expectations, but not because he writes plot twist over plot twist and reveal over reveal, and has a fetish for secret identities, but because he approached the whole story differently from the start. I personally enjoy his writing a lot, and not just in The Song of Ice and Fire, but in some of his other works I have read, like Fever Dream, Songs the Dead Men Sing, Ice Dragon, and Songs of Stars and Shadows, but I can also understand why someone wouldn't, and I can also understand how they would not find it very digestible. I made this video because he's one of my favorite fantasy writers, and I enjoy the way he crafts stories, so I wanted to talk about some writing elements that people attribute to him that I do not agree with. <laughs> and this is it. Thanks a lot for watching, I hope you had fun, and if you did, don't forget to like and subscribe. See you in the next video. Bye!